Happy New Year, dear listeners. Many of you know that Grant and I have both taught for the Five Things I've Learned series in the past. We've done it together and separately, and I have been truly honored to teach a class for the past two years in a row at the beginning of the year, and I've been invited back to do this again this year. So I hope you'll join me on February 4th. This year's class is geared toward women writers. It's called Five Things I've Learned About How Creative Women Thrive, and you can find it at myfivethings.com or on my site at brookwarner.com under events. I have spent a lifetime championing women's voices and dreams, so this is an opportunity to celebrate women creatives. The intention for this two-hour class is to take stock of your 2023 and to dream into your vision for 2024. I think we too seldom give ourselves space for that, the recalling of what we've done in addition to what we want for the coming year. And this is something we're going to cover in today's Unresolution show. So I'm happy to be ringing in the new year with all of you. This is our sixth New Year's show. Thank you so much for being loyal listeners and on with the show and on with 2024. Hello, goal setters, resolutionistas, productivity wizards, and overachievers. We're gathering here at the beginning of 2024 to question goals and resolutions just a bit, you know, probe them, interrogate them, figure out how to integrate them into our lives so we feel joyful and not stressed, or figure out how to not have them at all. We'll see. But first, I want to celebrate and or chastise ourselves for our 2023 goals. Um, I forgot to mention, I'm Grant Faulkner, and I'm here with my co-host, Brooke Warner. And, and, and Brooke, I know you accomplished one big goal, non-writing-wise, the shark swim, <laughs> uh, but I'm not sure that that was out on your list last year when we talked about our goals for the year. And I know um, completing your memoir was. So how did you fare with your 2023 resolutions? Yeah, thank you. And for people who are not regular listeners, the shark swim was the Alcatraz shark swim that I did back in August. And you know, I think it was on my radar, but I don't think I even knew to make it a goal, which I really should have. It was like, am I going to do this? Am I not going to do this? So it didn't become like a full-blown resolution until around April. Finishing the memoir, however, was a resolution from last year, uh, which is why I want to go a little bit deeper into that word probe, Grant. (laughs) (laughs) Because, you know, last year I confessed my struggle with the New Year's show generally, which is obviously connected to my struggle with New Year's resolutions. And I nailed it down. You know, it really is about expectations. Uh, Last year I was kind of going on about the cliche of it all. And I do always feel like I want to push back against that piece of it. Uh, But it's a paradoxical situation because I'm drawn to a New Year's resolution. Like, obviously, the New Year holds such promise. We're conditioned to that promise as well. And so there's this like setting of goals and dreaming into what could be. And and it's like cultural. Uh, And the problem I have, I'm sure many people share this problem or uh, frustration, is that I always bite off more than I can chew. And I think in some ways, it's a good quality to set the bar high and to believe into what's possible. But the problem is that then when you fall short, you have to figure out what to do with that reality. So like you can give yourself a pass, you can cut yourself some slack, you can reset the goal for the next year. Uh, but guess what, Grant? My goal again for 2024 is to finish my memoir just like last year. Woo-hoo. <laughs> you know, on the one hand, it's humbling because I also think that my goal for 2023 to do that was really overambitious. And so I asked you, I said, we should re-listen to last year's episode. And I was listening to myself and I was like, yeah, all I have to do is write 10,000 words a month. But 
as you know, 10,000 words a month is actually a lot. It's not actually a good baseline for someone who's as busy as we are. Uh, And so it's more like that's the amount I can do when I'm cranking, which is not every month. There are many, many days and many weeks that I am not cranking. Uh, Like for instance, I spent a whole two hour writing session the other day reading a book that I felt that I needed to read for my memoir, which was time really well spent, but stuff like that happens all the time. And so I'm probably writing closer to 5,000 words a month on average. And those words are words that need polishing. So what I can say for myself, I guess, is that I'm a hopeless optimist, (laughs) at least on the front of what I think I can achieve. Uh, And Grant, you know, in terms of listening to last year's episode, what was that like for you? And did you accomplish your goals or some of them? Yeah, listening to last year's episode was a little scary. (laughs) I almost didn't know (laughs) what it held. I was like, what did I promise? And I have uh, separate from that, I have this accountability buddy who we set goals every year and check in with each other every Monday about what we did or how much progress we made. And I'm like you, Brooke, I I think I'm too optimistic. And and that was definitely one of my realizations this year to just pick like one thing and figure out what's manageable. So maybe not even set a stretch goal, but just do it well. So last year, I pledged to pick one of my five or so writing projects to focus on. And it's interesting because I didn't quite do that, really. I kind of spread myself thin, which wasn't really the purpose. And in fact, I I didn't really do a whole lot of original writing um, in 2023. I spent a lot of time promoting my book, The Art of Brevity. I dipped my toe into the memoir I was working on. I would have been, if I had written 10,000 words in one month, that would have been a success (laughs) for that. I finished a a book proposal for a nonfiction book, but most of that was written in past years. And I almost finished putting the final touches on a novel. So I don't know, maybe I should feel better about that than I do. But, you know, I I didn't complete a lot of these things and I didn't do much new writing or not much original writing, which I find a little troubling. And also, most notably, I, I made this goal around reading a modest goal just to read for 30 minutes a day because I found that, you know, devices have taken over my consciousness, essentially. And sad to say, I didn't come close to that. So I'm still grappling with my reading, which is like many people I talk to, I'm afraid. I think a lot of people are grappling with becoming the readers they they once were. And I had a couple of other goals. I was going to study TSL, The Wasteland, very thoroughly in honor of its 100th anniversary, which I kind of did, you know. So I'll give myself a C plus on that, not exactly in my normal level of achievement. And I also pledged to learn how to play the guitar. And I did sign up for lessons, a good first step. But then I largely didn't go to those (laughs) lessons. (laughs) You're on a roll. (laughs) Yeah, I'm on a roll with good intentions, right? (laughs) Got to start somewhere. So anyway, I have to confess that I've been thinking a lot about resolutions of late and how maybe sometimes in our productivity-obsessed culture that maybe one goal might be to not have a goal. And that sounds a little sacrilegious, especially coming from one in the NaNoWriMo congregation of goal plus deadline equals a creative midwife. But but goals can be very demanding taskmasters. And I, I realized this when my kids came home from college recently, and I was I was about to sacrifice time with them to get the 5,000 steps I needed for my daily goal of 10,500 steps a day. And then I was like, no, it's more important to spend time with my kids. You know, my steps don't matter that much in the bigger scheme of things, um, even if I am very addicted to hitting my goal every day. So I'm actually thinking about ways to find more joy in my days and releasing myself from specific goal targets. And, and But that's hard to do because I have to admit, I'm, uh, I, I, I've just realized this this year that I'm, I'm the definition of a workaholic. So what, what do you think about goals and resolutions, Brooke? Well, first, Grant, I want to introduce myself. I'm Brooke Warner, and I'm a workaholic. Welcome, Brooke. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, just wanted to get that out of the way and let you know that you're not alone. What do I think of goals and resolutions? Um, it's fraught. I, I love a good goal. I feel like I'm going to talk myself in circles with my answer because mm. I don't think I would be who I am if I weren't pursuing goals. Uh, I think the problem with the New Year's resolutions in particular is that those goals are set within a time frame you know, always of a year, right? And some goals, of course, are bigger than that. They necessitate more time. So we set ourselves up for failure. Uh, and I think this is the tension I feel every year, which is like my personality is to orient toward a good goal. I, I love it. I'm goal oriented. But the New Year's resolution in and of itself is a false construct. And so I always buck against it. And so it's hard because I, uh, like I said, last year, my goal was to finish a memoir. I think that was a good goal. It wasn't realistic. So my goal again uh, is to finish the memoir. Uh, and if I come back again next year and say, I didn't finish it, how will I feel? I don't know. <laughs> but I will say this, Grant, I think there's real value in the year-end review. Mm. Uh, and so that's also what I want to focus on a little bit, because what happened when I went back and listened to last year's episode was that I realized like we're doing good work. We've interviewed all these incredible people. I've taught a lot of great classes this year. I'm doing the five things class again this year, which I mentioned at the top of the show. Uh, and I think we often give ourselves too little space to review and reflect on what we've done because we're so focused on setting resolutions. Maybe it's just that we're all sick of time constrained resolutions. Yeah, I'm definitely a little sick of them. And apparently we're not alone. I just Googled this and, and researchers suggest that only 9% of Americans who make resolutions complete them. So that's that's a kind of, a, whatever, a bad number. <laughs> bad <laughs> Americans. <laughs> and, you know, re the research actually shows that 23% of those people quit their resolutions by the end of the first week and 43% quit by the end of January. So, you know, obviously resolutions need some reform. And I like your reflection exercise, especially because it's the opposite of beating yourself up for, for not, you know, achieving your resolutions. And I started to do this just a little bit. And like you, like, you know, I, I filmed this huge domestic class. I did a five things I know course like you, and I'm going to got another one coming up this year. And I have three books on the precipice of submission and, you know, and then we, yeah, we, we actually pulled off a weekly podcast with amazing guests for the, you know, fifth year in a row. That's sure like did. 250 episodes, I think if my math right, is right. So I'm going to leave it that Brooke, or um, this is going to turn into a brag fest, <laughs> <laughs> which, which is maybe what we can do for next year's uh, show. We can institute the bragolution tradition or the reflection ocean tradition. But yeah, I, I welcome alternatives and, 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 and one year, Instead of resolutions, I made a short list of just new experiences I wanted to have. And the criteria was that the new experience had to be affordable and not be too much of a to-do, so no lengthy travel or anything like that. So an example would be to go to a psychic, which I'd never done. And the key was just to do something to make a memory. So I might sit down and, and write a list like this this year. You know, a friend of mine just this morning invited me to join her in her tradition of joining a group of strangers to sing in the solstice. And I was supposed to go, but I overslept, unfortunately, but <laughs> that would have been perfect though. Perfect for that list, something new and different and memorable. And also, you know, I appreciate what you said about all of your goal orientedness, which I share, but, but I do wonder what would happen to us if we didn't set any goals at all? Is that even possible for creatures like us? You know, would we still get things done? <laughs> would we just slide into inertia? <laughs> Gosh, good question. All of those, uh, your thing about setting a list of experiences you want to have reminds me, I mean, it's probably still a thing, but a while back there was like this big push, right? For 52 things. And people were doing their 52 things list. Uh, maybe it just fell off the radar of my friend group. Uh, but 
I wrote a Huffington Post blog in 2015 called, this is the worst title, by the way, 52 Things Ideas for Writers for 2015. <laughs> you can tell I did not have an editor. But those ideas were basically what we we're talking about. And, um, you know, it's ideas for writers, like here are some things you could do. And it was one of the most viral posts I've ever written. It got crazy traction. So I do love that concept of 52 Things. Uh, you know, what are what are they going to be like? What would challenge you? And to your point, they all have to be accomplishable. And I like the idea that they not be very expensive or cost any money for that matter. Uh, but I have to say I'm a sucker for the BHAG goals too. You know, that stands for the big, hairy, accomplishable goals. So the memoir is that, you know, that's a BHAG for sure. But how could I not say that I'm going to at least go for it, right? So to your point, like who would we even be without the goal setting? I, I do wonder how... American this is, you know, just the mindset of like how much we love a good goal in this culture. Mm -hmm. uh, but I have to share something or maybe confess something. And that's that like goal setting. I said, it's pretty fundamental to my personality. I'm a seven on the Enneagram for people who know about the Enneagram and sevens are very oriented to a plan. And I think a plan is very similar to a goal. And so for every type in the Enneagram structure, there are nine of them. There's like a holy H-O-L-Y orientation. And for sevens, that is to the plan. So I'm just saying I come by it honestly. I, I love a plan. I love a goal, uh, which is why I'm just going to keep living in this paradox, which is like simultaneously being put out by the whole thing, but also super oriented toward it. Uh, I'm, I'm hoping that a lot of our listeners can relate to that. So yeah, I don't know, Grant, could you live without goals? Well, that's a very American take on things, Brooke. Speak <laughs> conflicted while still forging ahead. I, I should try this even for a month to live without goals. You know, I, I feel like I would still get a lot done. And maybe that's just because my brain is so hardwired for goals at this point that they're part of my, my unconscious, you know, drive or something. And maybe, maybe it's just because I like to be doing something at all times. So I get like actually get nervous if I'm not being productive or restless. But one thing I'll say for goals is that they do help set priorities. And it's easy for me to spread myself too thin, you know, to hop from writing project to writing project, or just like you said, that optimism where you say yes to too much. So I have been thinking about it, like as a fiction writer, especially since I didn't get much fiction written last year, is I wonder if not having goals would open up a space for more whimsical and capricious writing, you know, the, the kind of writing I did when I was younger, and feels like I've lost something there. So perhaps I'd be more experimental or more expansive with like that. So maybe I should do this. Maybe I should put a stake in the ground, say I won't make any goals this year, and I'll report back next year what happened if I'm, and if I'm just a creature of sloth. Ah, very interesting. I like that one. When we come back and listen to this in one year, it will be very fun to be like, I set no goals, and here's all the things I did. Yeah. Ooh, <laughs> ouch. So, well, we'll see where we're at for sure. Um, Grant, before we end, we have to honor another tradition, which is saying which of the past year's episodes or, or episode most moved us. I looked back through our list and there were too many to choose more than one. So I just went with the one, which was uh, with my mom. I was inspired to ask her to be on the show in the first place because of Julia Louis-Dreyfus's Wiser Than Me podcast, which I love, and in which she always speaks to her mom at the end of the show. It's super sweet. Uh, and you know it's with my mom. And so it is going to be one of my favorites. I feel like I'm going to have that forever and this deep conversation. But what was most important to me was having the public permission that she gave me around my own writing. And then since then, it's been the episode that a lot of people have talked to me about this year. Hmm. Uh, it was helpful to other people, uh, even to writers who've lost their parents. And that means a lot to me. So that was my choice. And I wonder what yours was. 
Yeah, that was a very special episode. Uh, definitely, Brooke. Thank you. You know, I was so taken by our conversation with Maggie Smith, and that's largely selfish. You know, I mean, she was so smart and so charismatic and so generous. So I loved talking with her for all those reasons. But I also loved how she talked about writing. She's a poet who wrote a memoir, and her memoir was really her first serious venture into to prose, especially at that length. And I liked how she brought a poet's sensibility to her prose. You know, she, she didn't write the memoir chronologically, didn't write an outline or anything like that, but she just started writing a lot of vignettes or scenes or moments and just was guided by that, um, you know, her intrigue in the material, her pursuit of the truth, I guess. And, and then she essentially spread them all out on the floor and stitched the book together and gave it an order and a shape. And um, strangely enough, I, I write like this more and more myself. So I really appreciated the way she spoke about the craft of this process. And then, and then yeah, as I mentioned, just how she was writing so much for herself and for her own truth. Like I didn't, it, it was almost like I think she could have written that book and not published it. She just needed to write it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Maggie's episode inspired me so much too. We're we're really lucky, Grant, because we get to be in conversation with people who inspire us and give us permission. And I know that translates to our listeners too. Uh, to all of you right-minded writers and authors and creatives out there, happy, happy new year. Uh, and even though things are so tough in the world, I think we can't help but feel that little jolt of new year energy. Uh, I hope you all feel it too. We're excited for the year ahead, for the guests that we'll bring, the conversations that we'll have, the creating that we'll do. Uh, and we want to encourage you to keep sharing your thoughts with us. I want to remind all of you that we have a Substack now if you want to check us out at Right Minded Podcast. And on every post, we're including a little bonus content that has something to do with the show. So that's fun. Thank you as always for your listenership. We're so grateful. Happy new year. And we will be back to our regular show flow starting next week. 